This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Psalm 68. Psalm 68. And just uh, really one part of a verse. Uh, the last time, a couple of weeks ago, when Claire was here sharing, she, in fact, this is the very verse that she shared. Uh, Psalm 68, verse 6. God sets the solitary in families. God sets the solitary in families. Over these past recent years, uh, a phenomenon has swept the world. Social networking. Uh, it's incredible the, the speed and the, uh, the number of people that are actually networking socially, typing little messages, sending photographs or little video clips, what have you. In fact, I, I just checked yesterday, I just checked uh, the number of people involved in this last month. Facebook has 1.4 billion accounts that are active. WhatsApp has 700 million. Instagram, 300 million. Twitter, 288 million. Viber, 236 million. Tumblr, 230 million. Snapchat, 200 million. LinkedIn, 347 million. Uh, Facebook Messenger, 500 million. There's over 4 billion Accounts going on right now all across the world. In fact, on Facebook, it's 1.44 billion and one today. Isn't that right, Sam? <laughs> Sam has joined. <laughs> His daughters had to bring him kicking and screaming into the 21st century. <laughs> Now, land aside the pros and cons of all of that, and there are very good points to be made, isn't there? I mean, it, it can be very, very useful, but it can be ridiculous nonsense at the same time. But if it's used wisely, it can be used for good, positive purposes. Used wrongly, it can cause all people all kinds of trouble. But land aside all of that just for a moment, I, I think that there's an entirely different reason why it has become so hugely popular around the world. I think it's this inbuilt, innate, God-given desire to feel a sense of belonging. To feel that we belong, to feel valued, appreciated, noticed, to feel that you matter, that your opinions matter, that how you look matters, because that's the whole thing behind the selfie. Some of you are kings and queens of selfies. <laughs> but it kind of validates our deep and often unrecognized desire to feel wanted, to feel needed, to feel to be a part of, simply to feel I belong to a group. 
We see this played out in, in just about every day in so many different ways. We join clubs, societies, fraternities. Uh, you know, there's slimming clubs, there's swimming clubs, there's bikers, there's hikers, there's all kinds of support groups, you know, for bereavement, for divorce, for drugs, alcoholism, drug addiction, all kinds of things, even when it comes to church. You know, we have women's groups, we have men's groups, we have moms and tots, we have home groups. And so you're breaking a larger number into smaller numbers so that we can interact and we can connect and interconnect between each other. Now, apart from the obvious benefits of joining such groups, we are in a way fulfilling that deep down need, that felt need to belong. God sets the solitary in families. Whenever the children of Israel was raised up, there was God made them into 12 tribes. 12 tribes. Whenever they camped in the wilderness, when they journeyed through, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, an artist's impression of the camp, but they all had their place within the camp surrounding the Ark of the Covenant into the various tribes. Out of the 70, Jesus had 12 close disciples. And out of the 12, he had that three, Peter, James, and John, who were the most intimate with him, who in his very tender moments, it was they who he drew to his side to pray or to be in the Mount of Transfiguration. And so even our Lord himself felt that need to have close companionship the Apostle Paul, when you read his letters, see how many times he names individuals, either at the beginning or at the end of his letters. He particularly names people, uh, people that he felt was helpful to him in his ministry that he didn't forget. Uh, he felt he needed companionship. He had a traveling companion at different times. So there's that great felt need to belong. Why has God put within us this need to belong? Is it simply so that we get on with life, that we work together, that we fall in love perhaps and maybe get married and raise a family or maybe join with others in business or become part of our community and we find that maybe helpful and we join this and that to do that? Or is there another reason? No doubt all of these things uh, are for the good and for the better, but I think the core reason, the ultimate reason, the absolutely essential reason is this need to belong. He wants us, here's the need, he wants us to know that we belong to him. Yes. And we do belong to him. Yes, and he wants us to know that. Hallelujah. You see, this was at the heart of Jesus' great prayer in John 17. In John 17, Jesus is pouring his heart out to the Father. And it's a very important prayer. It's a prayer that we should read regularly. But I want you to notice how many times he says this one thing. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. 
And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then down to verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, but you gave them to me. And then in verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given to me. And then verse 11, Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, those whom you gave me. And then as you go farther on down, to verse 24, Father, I desire that they whom also you give me, me may behold my glory. Seven times in that great prayer, seven times, when the Holy Spirit records something seven times, it's mighty important to know that we belong to him, that we're part of his family. And so we are heirs and we are joint heirs with God's Son, the Lord Jesus. In Him, Paul says, we live and we move and we have our being. Now, all of us, at some point or other in our lives, are going to feel rejection. We're going to feel disenfranchised, shunned, that somebody will turn against us for whatever reason. Sometimes we don't even understand what the reason is. Sometimes the person who turns against us doesn't understand what the reason is. But it happens. And it could be a family member. It could be a husband or a wife. It could be a son or a daughter. It could even actually be a father or a mother. And it could be somebody you live with. It could be somebody you live beside. It could be a neighbor. But suddenly you feel cut off, ostracized, separated from, rejected, out of the loop. And whenever you're ostracized or rejected, it hurts, particularly if it's somebody that you cared about or admired or had a relationship with that you thought would be forever, but it's no longer. That really hurts. It can be devastating. Some people never actually recover from that. They just cannot get on the life after such a time as that. They retreat into a shell. They pull up the drawbridge. <laughs> they pull the shutters down. They close the blinds. They put a fence around themselves, and it's very, very hard for them to trust again and to reach out to others. <laughs> The psalmist, he knew this rejection. In Psalm 55, verses 12 to 14, here's what he said. For it was not an enemy who reproaches me, then I would bear it. Sorry, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng probably talking about Ahithophel, his confidant, his close friend, who turned against him. And you can sense in Psalm 55 when David's writing about this, you can sense that it's hurting him, that it's hard, it's not easy. In Psalm 27 and 10, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Claire here tonight is dealing with orphans all the time. She, 
she gets families matched. And she says that one of the hardest things for the child is the feeling of rejection. Maybe from biological parents. And then maybe the, the whole thing goes through and it's just about to be, child's about to be adopted and then it falls through again for some reason or other and they feel that rejection all over again. It's very, very hard. It causes scars and pains and hurts on the inside. But Proverbs 18.24 says, There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> the one who knew about rejection. Listen what this, the prophet prophesied about him in Isaiah 53. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, his bruise for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus knew that he was going to the cross. He knew that from an early age. He knew why he was going to the cross. He was going to go to the cross for you and for me. He's going to have to die that horrible, cruel, barbaric death. But before that even happened, he faced the rejection of men. Not just the crowd who's fickle, but his closest friends. Peter even denied he ever knew him. Can you imagine if you had a close, close friend and they actually turned around at your darkest hour and denied that they ever even knew you? How would you feel? How, how would I feel? Would we not feel hurt? Would we not feel that deep rejection of men? Of course he must have felt it. In his humanity, he would feel such things. But I think in spite of all of the rejection of men, in spite of the rejection even of his dearest friends, his own disciples, they all forsook him and fled. In spite of the torture the whippings, the beatings, the flogging, the nails, the spear, in spite of all of those things, I think the one thing that he felt the deepest was never the father turned away from him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who among us can fully grasp that statement? It's one of the most profound statements in the whole entire Bible. That the Son of God would cry unto his Father in heaven and say, Why have you forsaken me? He could understand why man had forsaken him. He could even understand why Peter had denied him. He could even understand why Judas betrayed him. But why did the Father turn away at his darkest, gravest hour, in his greatest pain and agony? And suddenly, he sensed the Father's presence was no longer there. 
the thing that was helping to sustain him through all of this was suddenly it was gone. Remember David prayed, Lord, take not your presence from me. <laughs> take everything from me, but don't take your presence from me. And here's Jesus, and suddenly the presence of the Father is removed from him. And he feels, in a sense, rejected. Not that the Father had actually rejected him, but he must have felt that's what it must feel like. And he went through that on our behalf because he's not willing that any one of us should perish. He wants to save men's souls so that they will never have to face the horror of being rejected by God. Imagine the horror of God saying, depart from me, you cursed. I never knew you. Jesus wants to save us so that we may never hear those words, that we may never be eject, rejected eternally by God Almighty, and that we become part of his family. That's why Jesus can say to you and to me tonight, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you even unto the end. Hallelujah. What a promise. What a Savior. And through all of that, to save us, hearing those words, depart from me. All of us need a sense of belonging. And I think when you become born again of God's Spirit and you know that you're in the family of God, there is a great sense of belonging. And no matter where you go in the world, and you meet other believers there's a sense that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Different colors, different languages, but we're one in Christ. We're part of the same family. The Apostle Paul, he addresses this whole question of belonging in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 and also Ephesians 1. In Romans 8, Paul says, verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. But you have received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And in Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, excuse me, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. The Apostle Paul loved this whole idea of adoption. And what he is saying is this, and as far, if I can simplify it, because sometimes it depends whether you talk about Roman adoption or whatever, but to simplify it, to make it easy for you tonight, here's what it means. When you're born again in the family of God through regeneration, through being born again of God's Spirit, in that sense you are a new babe in Christ. But at the same moment, you're born as a baby into the family of God. You're also placed as an adult son. Adoption is placing as an adult son. Now, what's the importance of that? <laughs> a, a baby... Uh, if you're born into a family, and we talked about the, the, the birthright this morning, the firstborn birthright, the double portion, we talked about Elijah. But when you're born into a family, there's certain rights that will become yours and responsibilities and, and all the rest of it that will, will flow from that. But you can't do anything about that as a little baby. You will be able to do about it as an adult son at some point, but not as a little baby. And so when you're born again, in a sense, you're a little baby, but in another sense... God says, but you're also an adult son. I'm giving you the privileges and the rights and the responsibilities as an adult son. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. So as an adult son, as soon as you're born again, you can speak to God. You're empowered to do that. You can walk with God. You can read God's word. The Holy Spirit will enlighten you of God's word. You can do all of that as an adult son. You know, sometimes we, we do make excuses, don't we? We say, well, so-and-so, they're just a baby Christian. In a sense, that's true. But in another sense, they've been given full rights as an adult son. They need to grow up quickly. Yes, Peter says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. But the writer of Hebrews said, it's time to leave the milk and go on to the meat. And so there's this double thing you're just born again, just like a baby's born again, but you've also got all of the rights and the responsibilities and the privileges as an adult son. You're not going to be a baby all of your life, sure you're not. And sadly, many Christians never seem to go beyond the baby stage. They should be well on the adult son and daughter stage, but they're still stuck at the baby stage, and they make all kinds of excuses. Paul says, listen... Grow up into your rights, into your privileges, into the blessings that God has got for you. You're a son, you're a daughter of the Most High God. You're no longer a little baby. You're a son, you're a daughter. And so Paul loved this sense of belonging. He loved it. In, in Romans chapter 8, again, uh, I, I had... Uh, I forgot to bring my other Bible up. Could Sam, you see the one that's sitting just there? Yeah, please. Yeah, that one. Chapter 8. 
again, we were just there. Should have told you to keep your place there. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What shall we say then to, th to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen again, is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're killed all the day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Us, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's something about knowing that we're in Christ, that we're in the family of God, that no matter what is going on all around us, no matter what principalities and powers that wage against us, we are in God's family. And he's not going to leave us, and he's not going to forsake us. We belong to him. And when you get that into your spirit, then you can stand because it's something that keeps you strong. Now, not only is Paul telling us, though, that we belong to God, but he also tells us that we belong to one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is where I want to read just a little bit here from the New Living Translation. First Corinthians chapter 12. And read from verse 12. The human body is many parts, but the many parts make up only one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we've all been baptized into Christ's body by one spirit. We've all received the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm only an ear, not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? Suppose the whole body were an eye, then how would you hear? If the whole body were just one big ear, then how would you smell anything? But God made our bodies with many parts, and he's put each part just where he wants it. What a strange thing a body would be if it only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect from the eyes of others those parts that should not be seen. 
where other parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts that has less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members. So all the members care for each other equally. If one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all parts are glad. Now, all of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Amen? You see, again, Paul is saying that we just don't belong to Christ, but because we belong to Christ, we belong to each other. He's the head, we are the body on earth. And not only are we likened unto a body, but in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul likens us unto a building. Ephesians 2, verse 14, where Christ himself has made peace between us Jews and you Gentiles by making us all one people. He has broken down the wall of hostility that used to separate us. And by his death, he ended the whole system of Jewish law that excluded the Gentiles. His purpose was to make peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new person from two groups, together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He has brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and us Jews who were near. Now all of us, both Jews and Gentiles, may come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit, because what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. And he changes the metaphor. He's talking about the body, now he changes the metaphor. We are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also joined together as part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. So Paul says we not only belong to God, but we belong to each other. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. But there comes the rub, doesn't it? What was it the old poem used to say? To dwell, to dwell above with saints we love, that indeed will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story, isn't it? I like the little story about Lucy and Peanuts in that, in that cartoon strip. Or Lucy said to Snoopy, actually. She turns around and said to Snoopy, you know, she says, there's sometimes, she says, you really, really bug me. And there's other times I just want to give you a big hug. Snoopy says, well, that's just me. I'm huggable and I'm buggable. <laughs> and we're all huggable and we're all buggable, aren't we? Those two porcupines living away up in North Canada in the frozen waste. And they came together to get some kind of body heat together. But when they came together, they, they jagged each other with their quills. So they separated. But it was so cold, they had to come together again. But when they came together again, they jabbed each other again. Same thing, same story. They needed each other, but they needed each other. And we need each other, but sometimes we needle each other, don't we? But we actually belong together in Christ. There is a desperate need 
for us to belong. And that world out there tries everything they can to be a part of something or someone, and oftentimes it doesn't fill the vacuum. But when we become part of Christ, we become part of the great family of God, our sense of belonging becomes something that's genuine and real. Amen? So you belong tonight. You belong to God. You belong to each other. We're all part of the great family, aren't we? Yes. Yes, sometimes we bug the life out of each other, for sure. But we can't do without each other. Sure we can't. Because we're part of God's family. Let's pray. Lord, you actually made us to fit together, to complement each other. Not to be in competition, but to be complementary. Lord, all of us is strength and all of us is weaknesses. But if we bring ourselves together, then, Lord, we become one and we really become strong. A threefold cord is not easily broken. So help us in Christ to be one in Christ, not to be separated, but to be one in unity and purpose. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation that has given this wonderful opportunity to each of us. Thank you for the family of God, not just here, but around the world. And Lord, as these last days are coming upon us, when the world will separate us and shun us, Lord, we'll ever need to be more closer together than ever before. And Lord, some of the petty differences will fall aside because we need each other. So we give you thanks for this tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your presence on this day in your house. Thank you that we come together to worship you as a body of people with all of our different personalities and all of our quirks and all of our strengths and weaknesses. Yet, Lord, somehow we're able to raise up a banner of praise unto our God, and it's a sweet-smelling savor unto you. So we give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.